We're so glad you've joined us. Right now, it's Barry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. I think it's safe to say that I've never experienced any deep down change in my life by trying harder, even by disciplining myself. I'm talking about deep down heart change. Any real deep down change in my life has happened after I've been trying really hard and then I fail and then God's grace comes sweeping in. That's how I've experienced change. I come to the end of myself and God's grace comes rushing in. And yet it's so easy for our journey with Jesus to get turned in to try harder. Work to get God's approval. Grit your teeth till you change. It'll never work that way, I don't think. I don't think it'll ever work that way. That's the message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Even the Old Testament with all of its rules was never a way to earn favor with God. And I think that's a big misunderstanding in the church Mm. that the Old Testament was a way to earn God's favor and now we're under grace. It's always been by grace through faith. So anyway, Tim Keller, he's the founding pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City, has started this video series on YouTube. Check it out, Discovering the Gospel in Every Book of the Bible. Each episode is a book of the Bible in about 10 minutes. Just a, an overview. It's incredible. And yeah, it's, it's amazing to watch Tim do it, as only Tim can do it. <laughs> and in each book, Tim shows how that book of the Bible he's in points to Jesus and to the one story of the Bible. And in Exodus, we see how it's grace that saves us and changes us. The principle of the gospel is that we're saved by grace alone, but that grace always changes the life. So we're not saved by living a good life in any way. And yet once we grab that grace by faith, it changes our life. That's the gospel. And we see that here. And actually it's spelled out in such great ways. First of all, here's the most obvious question about Exodus. Does God give them the law first and say to Israel, now if you obey the law, I'll save you from slavery and bring you out of Egypt. Does he say, here's the law, and if you obey it, I'll bring you out? No. He says, I'll bring you out, and then he gives them the law. So you see, the, for the first, basically, you know, the first 19 chapters of the book of Exodus is God uh, bringing them out, saving them, even though he hasn't even given them the law. And in many, many, many ways, they show themselves grumblers and unhappy and, and not at all admirable people. So what we have is right out, of the, right out of the gate here in the book of Exodus, the principle of grace. God saves you by grace, then changes your life. Not, well, if you, if you change your life and you, you know, pull yourself together, then maybe I'll save you. So other religions, you pull yourself together, then I'll save you. Christianity, I'll save you. Then we will renovate your life. You know, this is the way it went down in my own life. You know, Jesus rescued me before I really needed rescuing. I mean, when you're born into this world, you have a fallen nature and yeah, we need rescuing right away. But it takes some time to figure out that, yeah, we really are sinners and we start really messing up. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I was 10 years old, Jesus just poured his Holy Spirit into my heart and it was before I had really gotten stuck in sin, any kind of sin. 
he saved me before. Grace is always first. And then it's life change. Mm -hmm. He changes us. Yeah, I know. And this, you know, the whole invitation of Jesus to walk in relationship with him is, is, you know, the not I'm going to fix you and then I'm going to save you, but I'm going to save you. And then I'm going to show you what's best for you. Like I'm not only going to save you, but I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to show you how to have abundant life. That's really what the parameters are. That's really what the, the law is, right? It's, this is going to be the best thing for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is God's best. Yeah. And even the law, we can't, we can't really, we can't get it. We can't fulfill the law. We can't get it perfectly. And so even in the, the, the Old Testament, well, especially in the Old Testament, God provides a tabernacle and he puts his presence in there and he says, you need sacrifices to get into my presence. And so again, there's grace. And the only way to really get near to God and know him is yes, through his law, because he shows us who he is through his law, but we just we can't relate to him through law because we don't get it perfectly. So we need this forgiveness. And so grace takes us into this, this deep, deep knowing of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, the knowing is the, the love of God that, yeah. that kind of covers and, and, you know, all of our sin. Literally, we talk about that all the time, right? That the blood of Jesus covers our sin, but just this, the, the vastness of God's grace and that we live in that and that we can walk with a heart that desires to obey God, yeah. not to earn his favor, but because we we trust that the God who saves us loves us and that what he says, this is what's best for you, that it truly is what's best for us. Yeah, yeah. And it takes grace to really get there, you know. So, you know, my whole life, God's been driving home his message. Perry, you can't earn my favor. And once you're in my family, you don't have to have a 4.0 GPA to stay in. <laughs> and also, Perry, you can't change yourself. Not your heart anyway. You need my grace. You know, example of this is yesterday, I just, I had this thought and it was just a, well, it was, it was from my heart. It was, I thought of somebody and I felt immediately this pride in my heart. Mm-hmm. Like I'm better. And so I, I so, sort of turned that around, you know, and looked at it and you know, it wasn't like a temptation to feel proud and better. It was like this ugly thing in me that's not of Jesus that just rose up immediately and felt I'm better, Mm. you know, and it was a sin to think that. And I confessed it. And so I can't discipline that out of my life. Right. I can't do that. Can't try harder it out of your life. Right. And so I can only confess that to Jesus ask him to wash me. And it's that grace that changes the heart. Yeah. I can't remember how many months ago it was, but I did a, a dive on, I think it might've been like a year ago at Christmas time, but on the word iniquity. Cause I was like, what, what is that? What does iniquity mean? You know, and sin is the, are the things that we commit against God, but iniquity is that place in us mm-hmm. that even desires to separate ourselves from God and to sin against him. And I think that's what I'm hearing you talk about. Yeah, To want to be in charge. Right. To make it all about me. You know, it's, we call it the flesh. That's kind of the, I guess, the theological way of looking at it. But just to put it in every man's terms, it's, it's the, it's all about meanness 
that's coursing through my spiritual DNA Mm -hmm. and grace changes it. How do we get this grace that saves us and this grace that changes us when we know we desperately need it? All right. Can we get real with each other here? I mean, we're friends. We should be able to have really honest conversation, you know, by this point. Do you ever struggle with what other people think? Sure. Yeah, me too. I do. I literally do. And I would tell you straight up right now, the only thing that matters to me and the thing that matters most to me is what God thinks. And I believe it. And I mean it when I say that to you. But if I'm honest with you, the minute someone says they don't like what I'm doing, I get all offended and my feathers get all ruffled. If I didn't really care what they thought or if, you know, their opinions didn't matter to me as much as what God says matters to me, that wouldn't have the effect that it does on me. It wouldn't mess with me the way that it does. So I can easily get pulled off of my purpose trying to meet the expectations of other people and what they want to see happen in my life. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I think the key is that we get to the place where I don't care what you think about me. I don't, I don't care about your opinion of me, but I also don't have that high opinion of what I think about me. I only care what the Lord thinks. Right. And the emphasis isn't on not caring what other people think. You know, that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is on, are we focusing on God and what he has for us for the day, for a lifetime, for our parenting? Because he's going to call us to do things that are different than the stream. It's like the, uh, you know, the fish head in the other direction, right? Like God calls us to do things and to live in a way that is so different than the culture. And when the culture is deeply influential, when other, what other people think and feel has deep influence on my life, I'm going to feel this gravitational pull to turn around and head the direction of everybody else. Yeah. And what I'm saying is maybe I didn't put it well, is that when I care most about what God thinks of me, and the fact that he loves me and that he's counted me right with him through faith in him, when my relationship is right with him and and his validation of me is the most important thing, then I will I'll I'll do that. I'll yeah. stay on mission. Right. And for me, it's a matter of regularly fixing my eyes on God because I'm just I don't know. I'm like, it's a character from a, I think it's a, um, it's an animated film and I want to say it's Disney, but it might be Pixar, but the little squirrel that is just so easily distracted and just, you know, goes the opposite direction, just, you know, see something shiny and all of a sudden they're off. It's like, I can fix my eyes on Jesus and then something will happen. An opinion will come my way or whatever. And I get derailed and I have to refocus. Yeah to reshift my focus. So it's not just like a one and done, but we're, we're followers of Jesus. We see how he walks, where he walks, and we do what he does. And if we take a look at Mark 1, 35 through 39, we see something that we can model here in the life of Jesus. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so he did. He traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And I think just, you know, this this image of Jesus pulling away to get with the Father, to pray, to engage in a conversation with the Lord about, you know, what do you have for me today? Where do you want me to go? 
you know, just reminding himself that he is on mission. There's another scripture that tells us that Jesus only said what the father wanted him to say and only did what the father wanted him to do. That's the goal. That's, that's what we want to be doing as we walk out our lives. And we see that it starts with him sitting with the Lord first thing in the morning and being reminded of who he is. So there's this pull, right? Simon says, everybody's looking for you. And it's like, that's got some pull to it, right? Like, oh, they want me. The people want me. I can go there and they'll be so pleased that I showed up. I'd be setting up the sound system. Right. Getting the lights, the camera, the smoke. Got to have the fog machine. (laughs) Yes. And the thing is, you know, we think, oh, but he's Jesus, you know? So he didn't feel any of those things, but he was human. He felt human things and he was tempted. It's not that Jesus wasn't tempted. That's not how he effectively lived his life without sinning. It wasn't that he was free of temptation. He was tempted. He was human. He had the feelings and thoughts that would pull him off track. But he was so in love with the father and, you know, this dance of the Trinity that you talk about, Perry, right? This perfect love dance. And even in his humanity, he was a part of that ongoing love dance that he pulled away, even got up early, lost a little bit of sleep, you know, set that alarm clock 15 minutes early, an hour early, whatever he did to pull away before the day ever started and just fix his eyes on the Lord, spend time with God and say, what do you have for me? What do you want for me? Because I want to be on mission with you today. So when the people applauded him and the people questioned him, he wasn't thrown off course by it. He knew who he is and why he's here because he was intimately connected with the Father. So let's follow his lead today. Let's wake up before the day and let's be reminded of who we are and why we're here. When I was a kid, I thought, If I could only get from the majors, if I could only get from the minors to the majors in Little League, I'd be happy. Mm. Then I thought if I could have a good-looking girlfriend, I'd be fulfilled. Then if only I could play college basketball, that would fill my heart. And then if only I could get a record deal, that would be the pinnacle. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then I could name so many more. Oh man, I know that journey. Yeah. These are some of the ways I've tried to get the blessing of a fulfilled life apart from the Lord. Not bad things, but making good things ultimate things. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, I I don't know anybody who wouldn't resonate with this. Like, I so resonate with this. It almost feels to me like there's a carrot dangling out in front of me, you know, on the end of it is a stick. And, and the carrot just changes but there's always something out in front of me that that's the magic bullet. That's where the happiness is going to come from if we can just get there. And once you get the one thing, then you go after the next yeah, thing. Absolutely. It, it never ends. So anyway, Tim Keller is the founding pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City. And he started this video series on YouTube, Discovering the Gospel in Every Book of the Bible. Now get this. Each episode is a book of the Bible in 10 minutes. You had me at Tim Keller. I mean, you say you dropped Tim Keller and I just, I love learning from that guy. So the entire book in 10 minutes. Yep. Yep. Just the major themes. That's awesome. And in each book, Tim shows how the book of the Bible that he's in points to Jesus and to the one story of the Bible. I can't think of anything much better than that. 
I love it. I want the whole series. Well, there's <laughs> there's two out. Okay. And so in Genesis, this is where we start. We start at the beginning. In Genesis, we see this striving of ours to get the blessing that we'll only find in a relationship with God. Uh, my friend Tremper Longman has written a commentary on Genesis in which he points out that the word blessing is very, very central to the book of Genesis. Uh, first of all, we think of the word blessing and the English word blessing doesn't get across what the Hebrew word blessing does. It means deep fulfillment, deep fulfillment. And in the very beginning, when God creates Adam and Eve, he blesses them. And so they were in a blessed state, but as soon as they left, uh, as soon as they were exiled because they turned away from God, they lost that blessed state. And what you have in the rest of the book of Genesis, it's pretty intriguing. You have people trying to bless themselves. So for example, Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, they, they're building this great skyscraper. We're gonna make a name for ourselves. Then we're gonna know who we are. Or poor Jacob, when he realizes his father doesn't love him as much as he loves Esau. I mean, by the way, favoritism in a family is just terrible. And when you know that your parents love the other siblings more than you, it's, it's, it's awful. And as you know, the story, Jacob disguises himself as Esau so that he can hear his father bless him, even though his father would think he's Esau. I mean, it's just pathetic and it's, it, it just wrings your heart. But here's what's fascinating. At the very, near the very end of Jacob's life, uh, Genesis chapter 32, he ends up wrestling with God, a mysterious angel of the Lord who ends up being, he finds out as God. And as the, as the sun starts to come up and this mysterious stranger says, I have to leave because you cannot see my face and live. Suddenly, Jacob realizes he's wrestling with God. And then you know what he says? I will not let you go till you bless me. I have never been more moved than when I realized that Jacob suddenly realized what you and I need to realize, and that is the fulfillment we've been looking for in work, in building skyscrapers, in having wonderful spouses, in having lots of children, in making money. The blessing we've been looking for is actually in the face of God. And all we know, it's so moving, in Genesis 32 it says, and God blessed him there. And so you see, the blessing we need is in Jesus himself. It is, it is, and I need to be reminded of that this morning because I just find myself trying to get that fulfilled life in so many other things and what I'm really looking for. I know this now because I've journeyed this, this life with Jesus for a long time is that what I'm longing for is to be perfectly loved mm -hmm. and perfectly safe and perfectly secure. And it's only in a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, and I, you know, the way that Timothy Keller said it there, he said, um, what you are searching for can only be found in the face of God. And the fact that when Jacob asked for that, mm -hmm. God granted it. Like he sees us searching. He sees us trying to find that perfectly loved fulfillment in all these other places. He's patiently waiting. Like he's got it. Yeah. He's got what we want the very, very most. And he's patiently waiting for us to fix our gaze on him and say, I am not letting go of you right. until you bless me. And one of the things, if you read the story, I think he said Genesis 32, 
you read the story, you see that that Jesus is the guy wrestling with Jacob. You know, it's the angel of the Lord. Jesus says, what's your name? He says to Jacob, what's your name? And Jacob's name meant every every wrong thing that was going on in his life. He was the deceiver, mm-hmm. the conniver, the the one who stole the birthright, the stealer, the theft, the thief. And and so Jesus said, what's your name? Mm-hmm. And Jacob said, I'm Jacob. Yeah. I'm Jacob. I admit, you know, that I've been trying to manipulate my life through my own efforts. Mm-hmm. So he came to the end of himself. Right. Deceiving, uh, you know, stealing from you what's yours, right? Yep. 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 Yeah. That's who I am. And... And in his admittance and yeah. in his awareness of his need for God, yeah. God grants him what he needs the very most. And that's where I find grace. When I really own who I am apart from Jesus, you know, I'm Jacob. I'm, you know, part of a great sinners club. You know, there's nothing good in me that is in my sinful nature. Going deep at 643 in the morning. <laughs> I mean, we're just like not wasting any time, but I don't know. I just, I have a sense that. There's something about Jacob identifying what, you know, the saying, I'm Jacob, I'm a, I'm a deceiver. I've tried to steal from you, God. I think there's something for us this morning in identifying the thing that we think is going to bring us the happiness. Like, I don't know. I think when we say it, like, I think I'll be, if my marriage could just get fixed, man, that would be the magic bullet. If that's it, we need to speak that out before Jesus and and recognize in that moment that it's not in a perfect marriage. It's in relationship with God alone. There's this story in the life of Jesus, and you can find it in Luke 7, about this unexpected interruption at a dinner party. So Simon is a religious man, and he's having some people over for dinner, and Jesus was one of the guests for this party. So there's this woman in this community who had lived a life that wasn't good. It wasn't good for her. It wasn't good for anyone, really. And everybody knew her story, and they looked down on her for her lifestyle. Anyway, she hears that Simon's having a dinner party and that Jesus was there. So she grabs the most valuable thing that she owns, an alabaster jar of perfume, and she heads off to Simon's to meet this man that they call Jesus. Well, she makes it to the house. She makes it in the house, and eventually she's right behind Jesus and this, the presence of Jesus, like being in his presence, just stirs up all these emotions in her and she starts crying and she can't stop. The tears are flowing like a river and there's this pool of tears at Jesus' feet. And so she grabs her hair and she starts to wipe the tears off of Jesus' feet with her hair and she kisses his feet. And then she takes that alabaster jar, that valuable perfume, probably worth about a year's worth of wages. And she pours it on his feet. And so Simon, the host of the party, he's the religious guy. He sees what's going on. And he's, he's thinking, why doesn't Jesus stop her? So he starts to question Jesus's identity. In verse 39 of Luke 7, he says, you know, or he doesn't say out loud. He just thinks it to himself. He's just privately questioning God, Jesus's identity. And he says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And Jesus knew what Simon was thinking. And so he decides to tell him a story about two men who both own some money to this, to this same man. So they owe a debt. And one has a really big small debt, or one has a really big debt, one has a really small debt. 
And the one who was owed the money forgave both of these guys their debts. And then Jesus asks Simon, which one of these guys who is in debt is going to love the man who freed them of the debt more? And Simon knows the answer. I mean, everyone knows the answer. Right. The one with the greater debt. And then Jesus tells Simon that he's right. And then he explained to him, to Simon, um, that Simon didn't even do what was customary when Jesus showed up as a guest for your home. But this woman has gone above and beyond and just pouring out love for him and honor to him. And then Jesus forgives the woman of her sins publicly. And then he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I love what Jesus says in the story as well. He says, the one who has been forgiven much loves Loves much. much. And, you know, that just always encourages me. If I love Jesus at all, and, and I do, it's because of what he's forgiven me from. It's because he's, he's loved me and knowing everything about me. And so the love that I have for Jesus comes from being loved as a sinner. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that comes to mind on that subject is so often I think when we have wronged God, we're so grateful for his, his forgiveness. We want to kind of like quickly get past the thing that we did that hurt his heart mm-hmm. and get to the forgiveness part. And by, you know, taking the time to realize that what we did really did just cause, you know, harm to the heart of the father. Like we really did just hurt the heart of the father. I think, I mean, some people are prone to just hang out there and that's not healthy and that's not good, right? We need to receive the grace of God. But I think others are, you know, we just want to skim over that real quick because it's painful, but recognizing it for what it is, is what causes the the much love that Jesus was talking about, right? Yeah recognizing our need for a savior. And I think there's some things that we can draw from the scripture about the character of God. One is that God welcomes sinners like me, unlike you. He welcomes us. And the other is that Jesus doesn't shame us. He forgives us. I love that he didn't shame the woman who was just pouring love over him at his feet in the form of an alabaster you know, jar of perfume. But he also didn't shame Simon. You know, he could have said, Simon, you idiot knocked him upside the head and said, you know, she's got it right. You're, you completely missed the point. Yeah. He kind of dressed him down in his own way though. But he did it in such a way that he, he revealed what was true, but he, you know, he tells him the story and he has him discover the truth. Yeah. And I think that's what Jesus does in my life too. I feel like rather than shaming me and, and calling me out on stuff, he, he asks the questions in my life that make me realize how wrong I am. Yeah, he told a story that put Simon in the story. Yeah. And Simon realized, oh, I'm that guy in the story. Right. I don't want to be that guy. Nobody wants to be that guy. And then what does this tell us about ourselves? I'll tell you what. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is what I have learned about myself through the scripture. Judging others distracts me from my own sin. Yeah. I'd much rather talk about how you missed it than how I missed it. And then also it tells us about ourselves that we all have a debt that we can't pay. There is no us and them. There's just us. And we all need forgiveness. We all need grace. We all need the relationship that Jesus offers us. And I think that's part of what he wanted Simon to get. Like it's Simon, it's not us, the religious, and then this woman. It's all of us. And I think it's really good as we go into today that 
you know, maybe there's people that we just struggle in our relationship with them. And I think it's good for me to go in today just realizing that that person, whoever that might be, needs Jesus. Yeah. Like I need Jesus. You know, it's it's said and it's it can be a cliche, but it's not. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. We need him. It's good. And here's some more good news. I mean, whatever your story is, your story doesn't define you. God does. Whatever debt you owe for what Jesus has done for you, the only way to pay it back is with your heart, is to love much. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.